Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome one and all, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio, my website, whatonearthishappening.com. Today is Saturday, May 24th, 2014. We're live here every Saturday evening from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern Time, that's 9 p.m. to midnight Central Time. And tonight on What on Earth is Happening, your calls, you, the listeners, are going to make the show because I'm going to be taking your calls throughout the entire show this evening. Any questions, any comments, any speculations, any concerns, any predictions, anything you want to talk about. All topics are fair game. There are no taboo topics here on What on Earth is Happening. Uh, If you have any questions about anything that I've covered in the past that you want clarification on, I'd particularly like to hear from you on that. I get so many questions via email. Uh, It might be even possible we could take a couple of uh, email questions from, uh, you know, a lot of the questions that build up in my inbox uh, on a daily basis because I do get a ton of email and don't always have the time to answer uh, a lot of it because it, it's uh, such a high volume of mail comes in constantly. But uh, now is your chance to ask anything you want of me right here live on the airwaves. So let me give the call-in number for people to start getting in the queue, the number to join us here on What on Earth is Happening this evening, 800-313-9443. Once again, the call-in number to join us, With your questions, comments, speculations, concerns, predictions, anything you want to talk about, 800-313-9443. It should be a pretty interesting show this evening. I know when I do a call-in show, it usually is. And um, uh, next weekend, I will not be on the air, of course, because I will be live in St. Louis, Missouri, giving my one-time-only all-day seminar entitled Streetwise Spirituality. Streetwise Spirituality, what does it truly mean to be awake, the subtitle uh, uh, of that seminar. It's going to be a one-time-only all-day seminar, Saturday, May 31st, 2014, at the Arden Mead Center. The Arden Mead Center is at 17 Selma Avenue 
in St. Louis, Missouri. The doors will open at 9 a.m. The morning session of the seminar begins at 9.30 a.m. approximately after people get settled. Uh, we'll have a lunch break at about 12.30, so I'll, the morning session will last for about three hours. Then um, uh, an hour and a half for lunch, and then we'll resume with the afternoon session of the seminar for, at about 2 p.m., uh, going until about 5, and then we'll have a question and answer session from 5 p.m. on. The advanced tickets for this seminar, only a $20 donation. You can call 314-488-4454. Once again, that number to purchase advanced tickets, 314-488-4454. Or you can email Mummy. that's R-A-Y-M-U-M-M-E, at gmail.com. Email raymummy at gmail.com to purchase tickets. At the door tickets, only an additional $5 for a $25 donation if you're purchasing your tickets at the door. So uh, really looking forward uh, to be in St. Louis next week. It'll be the first time I've ever been there. And uh, what a great way to uh, check out the city and its people by uh, you know giving a live one-time-only seminar there on what does it really mean to be awake. Not this new age variant of what being awake means, but truly being streetwise conscious. You know, really knowing what's going on in this world really understanding the balance that must be struck between employing the non-aggression principle in one's life and understanding the self-defense principle. That's really what it does mean to be enlightened. It really is what it means to be a balanced individual, to have both the sacred feminine principle and the sacred masculine principle at work within your consciousness. And uh, I want to say thanks to Joe from Kansas City for providing uh, four tickets for, for giveaway on the show here over the past couple of weeks. And I want to once again congratulate our four winners, Swami Shivanandagiri, uh, Mark from Ohio, Jason from Illinois, and Patty from Illinois, who won the uh, trivia contest to win the uh, four giveaway tickets. Uh, really looking forward to uh, you know seeing all of them in uh, St. Louis next Saturday. So uh, I just want to let people know there is a support donation button on the What on Earth is Happening website. If you're in a position where you can uh, give a little bit of assistance, uh, you can click on the support donation button. If you have found value in the information that I've provided here on uh, the What on Earth is Happening radio show and on my website, whatonearthishappening.com, there is a support donation button on the website on the left-hand side. You can click that to make a voluntary donation in a number of ways. So, with that having been said, um, let's uh, see if there is anybody uh, holding on the line yet. I don't think so, not yet. Let's give it a little bit. Let's give it a little bit of time. But um, we will get to some callers in uh, hopefully the next segment. So, um, in any event, uh, I want to let people know we are going to be continuing uh, with our discussion of. Um, the possibility of humanity being not only visited by non-human intelligence, but the uh, ancient stories in the ancient past that deal with the interactions of non-human intelligent beings with our species. And we're going to be breaking down that information and looking at source material coming up in, in coming weeks here on What on Earth is Happening. Um, I want to let people know that we are going to be going extensively into that research. Uh, basically, I've taken a little bit of time off of 
off from uh, uh, putting a whole lot of inform- uh, a p- whole lot of work into preparing slides and information for the radio show because of course I've been doing a lot of work on the uh, uh, St. Louis seminar and trying to get that prepared and together. But uh, after the seminar is wrapped up, I will be going back to, um, you know, uh, a lot of work preparing information for this radio show and we'll be breaking a lot of new information forward uh, as the weeks go on. So um, just letting people know what has been going on with that. You know, uh, one of the things I personally want to talk about and lead into is what I see going on in the world is just so much more attachment and fear to the comfortable enslavement and the comfortable ideologies that we have been fed. Like I said uh, a couple of weeks ago and and last week also on the show, um, uh, people holding on to worldviews is a huge part of what's going on, is a huge part of what's holding humanity back uh, in our evolutionary development. When people hold on to these outmoded worldviews that don't serve who we are, particularly about things like human nature, particularly about things like what our origins are. And people say, well, it's not that important where we came from. It's not that important what our origins are. Um, over the last several months, it has been become so much uh, viscerally clear to me that this is something that really has to be drudged up and dealt with and talked about and put out there for people's consideration. Because if we don't understand that how we think about ourselves and our worth, okay, has everything to do with the perpetuation of this control system and the paradigm that goes along with it, then we don't really, aren't really understanding the, the wider picture at work here. Stay with us, everyone. We're going to be getting to your calls on the other side of the break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back. Listening to what on earth is happening here on Republic Broadcasting. So uh, before the break, I was just briefly uh, talking about worldview and how it really sets the tone for everything that's going on. If we can't imagine that anything could possibly be different than how it is right now, because we have accepted a worldview of the complete dismissal of free will due to either a left brain. Uh, scientism-based paradigm of so-called quote-unquote evolution of the Darwinian model uh, that says we're basically at the mercy of genes and that's our lot in life, whatever hand you got dealt there, uh, you know, there's nothing that's beyond that. And, uh, you know, therefore, 
um, the human condition, if it's just inferior in that regard, somehow can't be changed. You know, we just are the way that we are eternally. Consciousness is left at the door. You know, we're at the mercy of our genes and, uh, you know, dismiss the ability to create change through consciousness and free will. And, you know, the same worldview seemingly, uh, you know, an, an opposite, but it's really the same thing. Um, the right brain imbalance, the religionist worldview, you know, that God controls every single event in creation and therefore, you know, also throw free will out the door. And uh, both of these paradigms essentially share a deeply entrenched belief that the human condition, how it is, which is slavery, cannot be changed. And so many people are stuck there. So many people believe that the situation we are in cannot be changed. And I'm telling you, it can be changed. The question is, will we summon the will to change it? That's what it all ultimately comes down to. And that has to be done through care. That has to be done with intelligence. And then our willpower has to be actively applied through courage. So let's hit the phones. Uh, we have uh, several people waiting on the line. Let's hear from John in Seattle. John, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. What do you have for us this evening? Hi, Mark. Hi. Just wanted to say uh, thanks so much for everything that you're doing, and I just absolutely love your show. Thank you. I so appreciate much. that. Yeah. Um, I would like to ask you a, a question. I, don't, I haven't heard you uh, discuss this uh, in the materials that I've listened to on your, through your podcast yet, but okay. I'd like to talk about what's called the life cycle of the soul or the transmigration of souls. Okay. Um, the concept, uh, I, the hermetic concept of uh, ascending through the planets and having to pass through the guardian of Saturn. Um, I, have you heard of this before? Or uh, I've heard something similar to this. Um, you know, uh, a lot of times you'll hear about this in, in mystical writings, like there are guardians that guard the the afterlife domain, uh, some, some traditions have called this the Bardo realm. And, uh, depending on what you did in life, uh, you know, um, you know, different events may play out and you may encounter different entities or beings. Um, I personally don't speculate too much on any aspects of quote unquote afterlife, um, dimensions because I'm firmly attempting to get people to focus in what our work is to do in the here and now. I think if sure. you focus on that, you don't have to worry about anything that comes after uh, because you'll have been doing what you really uh, were charged to do here in this realm, in this domain. And um, if you do what's right here, I feel like you have nothing ultimately to worry about regardless of what happens to us if, when we pass out of this this realm, this domain of right. uh, physicality of the flesh, uh, you know, in the 3D world. So that's why I really don't uh, spend too much time on that. A lot of people have asked me my take on what happens when we die. And I just say, well, we'll find out when we cross that threshold, when we <laughs> go into that other dimension. Uh, right. I personally am going to approach that with absolutely no fear because I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing in this dimension. Right. So, um, I mean, I, I know that I didn't really kind of uh, talk about that particular aspect, uh, but do you want to say anything more about that in, in that hermetic tradition, or were you just basically trying to get at what I think about what may happen in the afterlife? Yeah, pretty much. I was just wanted to know your opinion about it, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still learning about these things, and I've really, 
um, uh, I came across this, uh, I was introduced to this topic by uh, Santos Bonacci and right. his work, and and uh, so I, I was, something that I've uh, had, you know, been chewing on for quite a while and just wanted to to know what your take on it might be. Well, one thing I can say is that um, I don't want to necessarily speculate too much on exactly what may happen when we die, but I, I do think that consciousness is eternal. I don't think that, you know, there's just endless blackness and darkness and the cessation of consciousness. I think that, right. um, you know, we're all aspects of the totality of the consciousness of everything, of the all. Uh, if you want to call that the mind of God or God itself, that's that's fine with me. I don't have a problem with looking at it like that. But um, I, I just think that uh, there is no such thing as unconsciousness or permanent death you know uh that's like an illusory state that we believe in in an existential way um i tell people if you want to get rid of that kind of existential angst uh commune with dimethyltryptamine you know or, or <laughs> ayahuasca or you know yeah. uh, a, a powerful other powerful uh you know um entheogenic substance and um i think that will allay some of those fears because um it will show you how really um, spectacular and amazing other realms of consciousness can be. And people will say, well, that's all just connected to the brain and the uh, electrochemical interactions within the brain. But uh, I don't think those molecules uh, that, that are very simple, basic indole molecules in a lot of that, in a lot of those uh, compounds, I don't think that they're complex enough to create an experience that rich and, and, um, uh, filled with uh, spiritual experience. I think that is there, and those compounds are just like kind of an, an antenna receiver to uh, let you uh, pick up on that on that channel, so to speak. Right. So I think consciousness is just essentially what everything is, and I don't think that ever dies and goes away. I think it's always there. I think it just changes forms, and uh, I think we will find out what form it will change into when we do you know, pass out of this body and, and out of this uh, 3D realm into another realm, but I don't think it ends. Uh, that's basically my take on it, and, uh, you know, I'll stop short of saying anything specific that I think occurs in the afterlife realm, because, again, I'm not there yet, uh, neither are any of us. You know, we may have been there in the past and come back here, who knows? Uh, I think that uh, reincarnation is certainly possible, um, but... Um, like I said, I think we'll we'll find uh, out what lies on the other side of that that threshold of that doorway when we pass over it. And uh, sure. again, I I feel like if we're doing the work that we are supposed to be doing here, which is working to end slavery, working to end that yeah. which should be changed and is wrong in this world where we're at right here and now, I think none of us will have anything to worry about personally. Right, I totally agree. So I hope that answers your question, and I want to thank you for your uh, uh, question there. Uh, great insights sure. as well. Thanks. All right, well, thank you so much. You got it, John. Take good care. And uh, let's hear from, I believe this is one of our ticket winners, uh, Patty in Illinois. You're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Hi, Mark. It is Patty from Illinois, and I am going to be seeing you next week. I'm so excited. Cool. How um, are you doing? What do you have for us this evening? Well, I have a question. I have a couple of questions, and they're kind of intertwined, but I'll try to keep it focused. Okay. I. Uh, We're actually coming up to another break here, Patty. Uh, just hold on through the break, and I'll bring you back on to ask those questions on the other side. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Republic Broadcasting Network. Don't go anywhere. Let's fly through the tide. 
Listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. Tonight on the show, all open lines. Anything you want to talk about, your questions, your comments, your concerns, your speculations, your predictions. For all three hours here tonight on What on Earth is Happening, the call in number to join us is 800-313-9443. Once again, the call in number to join us here this evening on What on Earth is Happening, 800-313-9443. We were uh, talking to Patty in Illinois. Patty, are you still with us? Yes, I'm still here. Okay, go right ahead. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about natural law, free will, and the role that animals play in all of this. Um, I've heard previous podcasts where you've talked about, um, you know, animals and whether or not, you know, uh, for instance, and you mentioned in one podcast the documentary Earthlings. Yes. Which um, I have seen. I I own that DVD, and it is incredibly hard to watch. Um, And that was one of the major things that helped me decide that I no longer wanted to partake in that industry. So I, I, I do consume a vegan diet. Um, but how, how do animals play a role with, with their own kind of ability to have free will and, and how humans interact with them? Well, I, you know, I would say that I would say that animals don't have free will to the extent that human beings do. Uh, I would say they have a modicum of free will, but um, they haven't crossed into what I would call the epigenetic domain or the domain of consciousness. They're still essentially beings that are running on instinct, largely. And therefore, they don't have the capacity to truly understand the objective difference between right and wrong behavior. So they're largely operating on instinctual, um, um, na- their instinctual animal nature. We have that instinctual animal nature, but we also have, we've also been gifted with a mind that is capable and is advanced, uh, you know, in its development to the complexity where it is, has the capacity to understand the difference between right and wrong modalities of behavior. And that's what makes us bound by natural law. When you, when you step into that realm of the capacity for knowledge, then you are also taking on the responsibility that goes hand in hand with it. That's why I tell people, you cannot look at the animal kingdom and say, well, animals do this to other animals, so therefore it must be okay for human beings to do this to animals or for human beings to do this to other human beings. And that's an absolutely flawed, illogical, uh, fallacious argument. It's a logically fallacious argument. Um, We are held to a higher standard than 
the animal kingdoms because we don't just have the instinctual response mechanisms that animals do. We also have the higher thought functions that human beings have been gifted with as a result of our uh, developmental uh, natural evolutionary progression, uh, the development of our species in consciousness. So because we've crossed into that epigenetic domain where we have the capacity uh, for holistic intelligence, that makes us bound by the laws of morality. So that's where I would say the human beings and animals different. You cannot apply natural law as I'm talking about it to the animal kingdom and say, well, hey, that lion's going to have a lot of karmic debt coming down upon it because it took down that gazelle on the plain on you know on the plains of Africa and and devoured it with its pride. You know, uh, no, it doesn't. Natural law doesn't work that way for the animal kingdom. You know, if a human being went out and just hunted another human being and cannibalized it, yeah, there's going to be a lot of karmic consequence because of that because we are held to a higher account because of our level of complexity in mind. So I hope that um, really uh, uh, explains my take on when it, how natural law fits in with the human species uh, as opposed to the, the animal kingdom. We are more than just a regular, just a and any other animal. Uh, one thing I do want to say regarding your first um, uh, comment on um, you know, uh, not choosing to consume animals or animal products for food. Um, I am uh, in the process of going full vegan. Um, I'm, uh, I'd say I'm about 98% there. Uh, my last holdout is I'll still have a piece of pizza every now and again. Uh, but uh, I've found a good vegan uh, pizza uh, place in Philadelphia where I'm uh, been, have been ordering from. So uh, I've been moving toward uh, going full vegan uh, to uh, eliminate the uh, suffering that goes along with uh, you know uh, the an uh, other animal products as well as just uh, the meat industry as well. So um, yeah. You know, that's something that I'm, uh, you know, been transitioning to and I'm almost completely there. Uh, not 100% yet, but it's it's getting there, so. Yeah, I find that, um, you know, when you talk about humans have the karma involved with, you know, if we kill another human. But, you know, if we're necessarily killing an, uh, another animal that, that we don't necessarily need, would that be a karmic backlash on us and I mean oh I definitely think that it is you know I, I think okay. that, that that level of suffering that is being brought into the world uh, needlessly and you know people will still debate and argue well we need this animal product in our diet uh, it's, it's pretty much been conclusively proven we don't really need uh, meat or animal products in, in the human diet uh, it is very very possible to live especially in the modern world with the way food production and, and flow happens in the world to live without any animal products in the diet. So, um, you know, uh, I've been using coconut oil, uh, uh, instead of butter. I've been using, uh, I've been making non-dairy ice cream. I got a homemade ice cream maker and I make great, uh, non-dairy ice creams, uh, with fresh produce and, you know, uh, coconut milk as a base or almond milk as a base. Um, yeah, you know, I, I've been buying uh, almond-based cheese and shredding that over pizza or making a grilled cheese sandwich with that quote-unquote cheese, you know. Uh, there, there's, there, there's a lot of good and easy substitutes uh, when it comes to uh, how we can supplement our diet with uh, non-animal-based products that are just plant-based. So um, I think that the argument that, um, you know, consuming animals and, you know, animal 
uh, byproducts uh, in the ways that we do is uh, as being necessary doesn't hold much water for me. And it, you know, it's a it's a controversial stand because people are so attached to it. Like I said, carnism is a religion. Eating meat is a religion. No, it Literally, it's something that we're so attached to. We, you know, it's a it's a programmed behavior that uh, we don't even think about because it's been so ingrained in us from the moment we've we've been born, essentially. Well, I, I agree wholeheartedly, and and the more I've gotten into the vegan diet, I've been a vegan for over five years now, and um, you know, I I'm getting more attracted to just eating very simplistic, simplistically, um, like very just fruit meals. Um, one fruit at a time, and I've heard people talk about how their ability to connect with different realms is is strengthened when they have a sure. very clean diet. Sure, and um, that goes and hand so in hand that, with the law of assimilation. The law of assimilation, as it is called in different occult schools of thought, that um, you're going to uh, have to break things down, and uh, uh, so so much less energy is going to have to go into that process because it is uh, less complexified. The more complexified the form of 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 um, uh, energy you're putting into your body, the more your body has to go to work breaking it down. So it takes a larger amount of energy to assimilate it, and you're going to not have that energy available to other to other tasks and other uh, areas of of operation that you want to be working on, whether in yourself yeah. or in the in your daily life. So um, the law of assimilation would definitely uh, you know go jibe with that. That um, you know if you want to that energy available for other things, you don't want it to be going to work in the breaking down of of things like meat products and and uh, other things that are going to be hard to assimilate. Correct, yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, we're so easily controlled is because our energy is being taken away from us through many different avenues, but diet, I think, is the biggest one. Sure, and one just think about the we're, we're consuming all the negative energy that uh, goes into the slaughter of those animals, the fear that they're living in, the, the way that they're caged, uh, you know, the way that they're uh, kept in basically completely inhumane conditions, and then they're slaughtered, and we're taking in all that fear-based energy, you know, into our into our own bodies. And, you know, it, it's this other thing, you know, people don't even look at it from just a simple, um, you know, uh, in terms of 3D physical energy, wouldn't it make just a whole lot more sense to get your energy directly from plants, which is where these animals get their energy from to grow, then you're eating them, but really what's nourishing you is what they took into their body. So you're taking it secondhand. And then that make that makes more plants have to be grown, you know, and harvested anyway, when in, if you just went right to the real source, which is the plant, uh, you're going to get it firsthand and, you know, uh, you're going to absorb it more readily through the law of assimilation. And the other aspect of this is really where all, all of the energy is coming from, ladies and gentlemen, in case you haven't figured it out yet, is the sun. That's where really we get all of our energy through our food. So, you know, what's directly more directly connected to the sun? Those animals or those plants? I think it's uh, real simple to figure out. We'll pick this up on the other side. Patty, if you have any other questions, you could stay with us and uh, ask another one. Uh, but uh, we'll be right back, folks. Don't go anywhere. Welcome 
back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We were talking with Patty from Illinois, and I'll get right back to her in a moment. Uh, I just wanted to say, um, we were talking about veganism and uh, just uh, essentially transitioning to a non-animal-based uh, diet. And um, I want to say a lot of the the mistakes that I think people make when they try to transition to a vegetarian lifestyle is one, they do it too quickly. And I don't think this is something that you should just go cold turkey on. I've said this before on my shows. I think this is one of the things that makes people uh, fail at doing this. They try to just completely get off meat immediately and get off dairy immediately. You have to slowly transition off of it. I feel you do. Um, You don't want to make really quick, sudden, abrupt changes to the uh, chemistry of the body, okay? The body is a complex mechanism with a lot of chemical interactions taking place within it, and anything you do immediately, right away, 100% cold turkey is going to be a shock to, to the whole system. So I think that's one of the first big mistakes a lot of people make when they transition to a vegetarian lifestyle is they try to do it too fast or all at once cold turkey, and that's definitely the wrong way to go about doing it. Uh, the other thing I want to say is, uh, and, and just highlight this in all capital letters with a thousand exclamation points, if you're going to attempt to eat vegetarian or vegan, not to juice is the biggest mistake that you can possibly make in this lifestyle. Absolutely the the biggest mistake that you can possibly make. If you are going to try to eat vegetarian or transition over to a vegan lifestyle, you absolutely must own a juicer and use it just about every single day of your life. Period. And, you know, if you, you, you don't want to understand that, then I don't know what to tell you, but because juicing is the most important thing that you could possibly be doing for your health, as far as I'm concerned. That, in addition to purifying your water, you got to purify water and you got to get onto good juices. I mean, right now I'm drinking a big glass right here of um, uh, carrot, kale, spinach, cucumber. I mean, you drink that juice every day. I'm telling you, people will say, where, do, where does your protein come from on a vegetarian or vegan diet? <laughs> right there. Right there. And I guarantee you I'm getting more than you just ate in that steak probably. Okay? Spinach, carrots, kale. I mean, you name it. Um, any leafy greens are going to be getting protein. Definitely in, in uh, spinach. Definitely in carrots also there's protein. Uh, kale, you, you're going to get more probably more calcium than drinking any kind of milk, uh, vitamin A and C, vitamin K, of course, and any leafy greens usually. There's there's tons of phosphorus, which is great for the brain, you know, potassium, iron. Um, you know, it, it has all the phytonutrients you need right there in that green juice, you know. And here's the secret, folks. If you're going to juice, okay, greens, put a carrot through with the greens, that's how you get the maximum green juicing out of the, those green leafy vegetables. You get an auger juicer if you don't have the money to buy an auger juice. Hey, as a matter of fact, forget that. I, I used to say, hey, auger juicers are really expensive. They're not anymore. You can get an auger juicer for under $100 now. A good one, too. About $99 will get you a decent auger, vertical auger juicer, single auger. 
okay, which will make you a high quality juice from just about any kind of produce that you could possibly think of, all right, uh, and, uh, you know, you put the greens in there and then, you know, send a carrot through, and trust me, you're going to have a great yield when you do it with that method, um, but I'm just saying not to juice on a vegetarian or vegan lifestyle is the biggest mistake that you can possibly make on, uh, that, that type of, in that type of eating, in that lifestyle, not to juice is the number one mistake. And whenever I've asked people who've said, I've tried to go vegetarian and it didn't work out for me, you know, I asked them, were you juicing the whole time you, you tried to go vegetarian? No. The answer is always the same, invariably, every time, 100%. I've never heard anybody that said, I tried to go vegetarian, it didn't work out for me, and the whole time I was making this effort, I was juicing. Anybody who tries it with juicing usually succeeds. If they try it and they weren't juicing, they have a hard time with it. Not to juice is the biggest mistake in this transition, and I can't underscore that enough. So, uh, Patty, um, uh, I let, lent a little bit to what we were talking about before, but if you have anything else to add, go right ahead. Um, actually, I agree with you 100%. You have to get the nutrition in, and when you're getting off the meat products or any of the animal products... Um, you know, the people. The reason why people crave those is because they're mixed with chemicals. And you're right. There is there is epinephrine in the meat of the animal that has been slaughtered because of that fear that they experience. And when people eat that, they're getting a shot of epinephrine, basically, and that's where they feel like they're getting energy from from protein products in the in the form of animal products because right. it's a false energy. You get energy from glucose, and the best source of glucose is the glucose we get in plant products fruits and vegetables. So yeah. I agree. Is a great way to concentrate that, that nutrition. Yep. Um, there's no way you could eat as much as you pour in a glass of juice. If I tried to eat the amount of kale or spinach that went into making this, I'd be there for half the day, literally, you know, but I could true, drink yeah. a whole glass of that green juice with some carrot in there for a bit of sweetness and, and some beta carotene and other good protein. And I mean, it's delicious, number one, and you're nourishing all the trillions of cells in the body in the process. So um, people have to get on to juicing. I mean, I, I just, I hammer that on everybody I talk to that's trying to improve their diet. Juicing is the number one way to do it, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it, that and I really like smoothies as well. Sure. Um, I make a lot of green smoothies with, you yep. know, spinach and bananas and things like yep. that. Get get a get a good high powered blender if you could afford it. A Vitamix is a great device. I, I personally own one. Uh, they're a little on the expensive side, but it's an investment in your health. You know, it beats paying uh, high priced uh, allopathic med medical bills. You know, exactly. Yeah, and and people will experience some detoxification as they change. And you're right if they if they give up animal products too quickly, they will detoxify, and that will feel like being sick, but in reality, it's their body just, you know, purging the nasty stuff as they put the good stuff in, so that's to be expected to some extent. Totally. I, to um, I totally agree with that as well. Uh, just one quick little follow-up question about what we were talking about with regards to um, diet, and, you know, it comes down to the fact, maybe it's, it's connected a little bit to where you're going with your current discussion of, you know, our human origins, but, you know, I look at um, humans' inability to connect 
with other life forms. And that's where that disconnect is why we feel so easily, um, I guess it's so easy for us to some extent to just kill animals for food. Where in reality, I think in our true nature, we wouldn't really want to do that. Sure. If, um, and if, if, does that have anything to do with our true origins or what we would... Well, I, I, I can speculate. I, I, I will speculate that I feel that it does because I think that we are largely living in a completely disconnected state from what we were originally intended to be because of the type of manipulation that has taken place with our species and our genetic uh, you know, material through our genome. So um, I think that we are living in that cutoff way. And part of it is because of what happened to us in the ancient past, uh, which we're going to be getting into talking to talking about in coming weeks. Um, uh, I think that can be transcended though. I don't think it's eternally like that or has to be like that. See, this is where the danger in talking about material, like I'm going to be getting into comes in. And this is where you even get people that say, Oh, if he's talking about this, oh, he's an agent for the bad guys because he's trying to paint an impossible uh, to overcome scenario and, and make people feel hopeless. And that has nothing to do with what I'm trying to do, exposing what, uh, went on here in, in our ancient past. It's a, it's important to know about because in any diagnosis, if you want to get well, you have to know what's wrong. That's why right. we have to know the negative things that have happened in the human past regarding our origins. Then we can look at the situation for what it is and say, okay, well, now that we do have the knowledge, that empowers us because it lets us know what's truly been going on and what's wrong. Now, what can we do about it? Is it hopeless? And the answer is no. When we look at this field, we see... It isn't hopeless. There's something at work called epigenetics. That's consciousness. That's free will choice. We're in control of that, ultimately, when it comes down to it. And that means we do have power to create change. Patty, great insights, and I thank you so much for the call. We'll pick this up on the other side, folks. Stay with us. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. Tonight on the show, open lines. Anything you want to call in to discuss, any questions that you want to ask about my work, anything that I've covered up to this point, any comments that you might have, speculations, concerns, predictions, anything you want to talk about, any topic is fair game. And there are no taboo topics, as always, here on What on Earth is Happening. The call-in number to join us, 800-313-9443. Once again, the call-in number to join us here tonight, 800-313-9443. Okay, uh, let's hear from Philip in North Carolina. Philip, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Um, thank you, Mr. Passio. Thank you for taking my call. How are you? Sure, I'm doing well tonight. 
Uh, I am um, giving you a call for the first time. This is my first time calling in. I um, am relatively new to your work. Um, I believe the um, beginning of March was about well, the first time I had clicked on a What on Earth is Happening YouTube video. and um, I even attended the uh, um, seminar in Asheville a couple of weeks ago. Great. Um, I've been kind of shy and to your uh, information because I have I have yet to hear uh, up until about a day ago when I uh, listened to an interview that you did on September the 12th, 2012 on Down the Rabbit Hole with Popeye um, uh, in regards to September the 11th and directed energy weapons. Right. You made a couple of references in that video that I really haven't heard in, in the um, material that I've had the time to be able to, uh, to uh, absorb. Um, so my question is, um, have you had an opportunity to read Dr. Judy Wood's book, Where Did the Towers Go? And um, did you maybe explain, and there was even a part in that interview where you mentioned that uh, part of the ritual came from a higher place. Um, wanted to know if you could maybe elaborate your point of view on that. Yeah, I talked about, um, you know, the ritualistic aspects of 9-11. I also talked about the impossibility of it being a mechanical collapse uh, due to, you know, fires and bending or melting steel, etc. You know, as the official story goes, the pancake collapse theory. Um, I, t I talked about that pretty extensively and ran through the physics equations that are uh, required to understand to even uh, prove uh, just in uh, essential uh, Newtonian dynamics, uh, which any junior year, sophomore year, high school level physics class can, uh, you know, offer, uh, you know, just knowledge that is uh, um, uh, prerequisite in any kind of a uh, physics 101 high school level class um, can prove, can show people that it's the official story is actually impossible according to the laws of physics. So uh, I went over that on the show in a past podcast. Um, you could check that out on the podcast section. And uh, of course, I talk about the occult overtones and uh, the occult symbolic aspects of this ritual because it indeed was a... Um, trauma-based mind control ritual, and it was a highly symbolic ritual uh, regarding the destruction of consciousness, a huge injection of fear and trauma into the mass consciousness of the people of Earth. Uh, and of course, um, you know, there, there are other even darker occult elements to this. If you really ask me my take on what this ritual was about. Again, in the work that I did covering the ritualistic aspects of this, I consider this what is known as a grand rite of manifestation. Uh, this is a high-level occult, mag dark working, a dark occult magical working that is uh, what I refer to as chaos sorcery. And um, it is what is referred to in dark occultism as a manifestation rite. It's something that is there to cause such extreme havoc and chaos in other people's lives that essentially, since you are going to steer that chaos and you're going to steer that trauma, you're going to end up manifesting what you want 
to manifest as a result of your management of the chaos. Hence, I call it chaos sorcery. It's not what some people have termed chaos magic, different takes on what that is. Um, But I call it chaos sorcery because to delineate between the usage of energy in a positive connotation, which you might term magic, or the usage of influence in a positive connotation, I define magic as the art of influencing the will in a uh, influencing change to occur in accordance with the will but the will of creation being that will you're not influencing things according to your own selfish desires or your lower will you're uh, trying to create change in accordance with what the universe is trying to create which is the advancement of consciousness the advancement of freedom the advancement of morality and um I call this chaos sorcery because sorcery is the manipulation of consciousness or manipulating things to create change in accordance with the lower will uh, to get what you want out of it. Hence, they call this a grand right of manifestation. And um, this is something that uh, obviously requires many, many people coming together to work together on. Of course, it required a conspiracy. Uh, Conspiracy simply means those who have come together in like spirit. That's all it means. We get the word uh, respire, you know, meaning to breathe from the Latin spiro spirare, okay, which means to breathe in Latin, okay? It's where the word spirit is derived, spiritus. Spiritus in Latin uh, comes from that verb, spiro, spirare, meaning to breathe. To have the spirit within you is to have the breath of life within you, okay? And um, when we put put this together with the Latin prefix con, conspirare means to breathe together. So conspiracy means those who are acting in like spirit. That's all it means. You know, people make this grand idea of what a conspiracy is. You know, all it means is that few people of similar mindset came together to accomplish something together. That's all it ever has meant. So, of course, this was a conspiracy because, um, you know, people in the military industrial complex, people in the high high level uh, banking and, and finance world, uh, you know, people in, um, you know, uh, black ops aspects of government, people in intelligence agencies, of course, they all had to come together to make, to make this PSYOP work and to fool enough people for a short enough amount of time or a long enough amount of time to get their agenda across, you know, in other countries and in this country, which is draconian uh, takeover of uh, people's rights and, uh, you know, constantly, um, you know, whittling away at uh, at people's rights uh, day by day, month by month, year by year. So, um, but uh, I definitely think that directed energy weapons might have played a role. You know, uh, I think this may have been what better time to bring out some type of a new technology and show it to the rest of the world, you know, and not only that, you're doing it on your own people. It it paints this, it puts this fear, it strikes fear into your so-called opponents, you know, the administrators of the farms next door, you know, called nation states, Uh, you know, let's, let's strike some fear into them and say, look what we're willing to do to our, our own people to justify going in and taking resources from another country and, you know, uh, uh, putting more draconian measures, you know, laws into effect, you know, here at home, we're willing to do this to our own people. What do you think we'll do to you? That's why I think, you know, ultimately this, what this was all about. So what better way to, to do that than to bring out a new piece of weaponry that you're showing on the grand scale to the other, the leaders of the other countries that you don't want to get in your way. Okay. You're saying, Hey, here's what we have at our disposal. We're willing to use this against our, on our own people. Imagine what we'll do to you. 
So sure. that, that's kind of my, ta- my take on it. But I'll let, I'll let you ask another one on the other side of the break. Stay with us, and we'll be right back after uh, this quick break. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Stay with us. to What on Earth is Happening here on the Republic Broadcasting Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We were talking with uh, Philip in North Carolina, who uh, was asking uh, a couple of questions about the possibility of um, directed energy weapons being used on uh, 9-11-2001. Philip, are you still on the line with us? Uh, Yes, sir. I'm still here. I wanted to ask you if uh, you yourself had a chance to read Dr. Judy Wood's book, Where Did the Towers Go? I have not read the book. I have watched her uh, presentations. I think I saw the new Hiroshima and another presentation she gave at a conference, but I have not actually read the book, Where Did the Towers Go, uh, presently. Um, The reason that I ask that is because in order for someone to ask themselves the the question, what on earth is happening, I think something has to happen to that person. You know, I'm here talking to you now. I am absorbing your information, as are others, just like everybody in that conference in Asheville had a reason for asking themselves, what on earth is happening? And for me, the most important thing that's happened in my lifetime, mm-hmm. possibly ever, would be 9-11. Right. So... When I try to direct people to the object, objective truth about life, I can't think of a better way of showing them the truth than by giving them that book. Sure. Uh, I, think that's a, I think that's a great plan of attack, personally, because uh, 9-11 was one of the most transformative events in our times, and... You know, like the saying goes, uh, I believe Michael Tessarion coined this one. He said, did 9-11 wake you up? Did it shake you up or did it wake you up? You know, that's the two effects that it had. Did, did it put you into deeper fear or did it show you what was really going on in the world? And for you, it sounds like it woke you up and it showed you what was really going on in the world and, you know, just how a dire of a situation this is when, you know, things like this could be going on right under our noses and still people are, are caught unawares and still don't really uh, 
uh, understand the ins and outs of it. Uh, and uh, I think that's why we have to keep pressing forward with this uh, as a main issue. This is one of the staple core issues of our time as far as I'm concerned as well. I think you're right on point with that. And I don't think we should let this go. It's not something that's in the past. You know, it's something that is, uh, things are actively, constantly being conducted because of allegedly what happened on 9-11. And if that's all based on a lie, why do we have all these other things that are going on that are, you know, so draconian and so, uh, you know, stamping on all of our other freedoms as a result. So I definitely think that that's something that the pressure should be kept up on. And uh, I think you're right on point with that. Absolutely. If, when, I actually keep one picture from her book in my telephone when I start to talk to someone. I show them the picture of WTC7 that you can clearly see looking north with WTC1 and 2 missing. WTC7 right. is, is still there. It didn't go away until 520 in that afternoon, and yet we have two 110-story buildings that have disappeared before that time, we objectively know that because we can see it through that picture and through a number of, of pictures. So just looking at that and seeing it shows the person that right. what they thought was impossible is, yeah. in fact, possible because it happened. And then you combine so, that with two other things. You know, you show them the actual footage of... Uh, building seven coming down straight into its own footprint with very minimal damage to the building. People say, oh, there were fires. Yeah, not fires that could take a whole 47-story steel and concrete reinforced uh, um, office building to the ground into its own footprint like it, like we witnessed. And uh, then show them the uh, BBC footage of Jane Stanley standing up in front of the New York skyline live in a live picture being broadcast to uh, BBC uh, telling people that the building had already collapsed when in fact it's standing in the skyline behind her because they got their scripts a little bit uh, out of time uh, sequential order and uh, she announced that you know at about 5 p.m. when the building was still standing there and wasn't uh, didn't collapse for another 20 minutes. Well I think an even more impressive fact is that there are still 1,116 people that they have not found a toenail of. Sure. You've got over 1,100 people that yep. disappeared. You had seven buildings that, for the most part, turned to dust. You have 1,400 cars that were toasted. Yep. So what, vapor, what vaporizes material like that? What vaporizes matter like that? It's something so, that caused disintegration. The integration of that matter was 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 caused to come apart. Therefore, it disintegrated. Literally, you had a, a weapon, a some type of a wave weapon or scalar weapon of some kind that obviously can take apart matter. Literally, you know. And I, I mean, people just have to ask themselves the question: What's so even far fetched about this? How many? decades or even centuries ahead of average technology uh, that is released to the general public is military industrial complex research and technology. You know, I oh, mean, absolutely. all you the money at- that they have at their disposal, you know, all the scientists and researchers they have at their disposal. Of course, it's, it's, it's at least a hundred years ahead, maybe more. Oh, absolutely. If you just find me a pilot that will, uh, <laughs> tell you that a 767 can fly 600 miles an hour at 
sea level, you can't find one because it's an impossibility. Sure. It would, it would reach resonance frequency. That plane would shake apart. It, it would it would come apart at the seams, literally. Absolutely. And aluminum certainly cannot pierce through uh, two feet of steel. And uh, yeah, you have a Category 3 hurricane for four days. It was headed right toward New York. And for the 24 hours surrounding 9-11, it basically stayed offshore. It got a little bit bigger. And then headed the opposite direction. Yep. It all it all smacks of some kind of scalar, uh, you know, non-Hertzian wave technology in effect there during that time frame. No, no question about it. You know, I, I think the only way we're ever really going to know the truth or at least get closer to it is to constantly put pressure. And I mean, not just on, you know, public. I'm not talking about public quote-unquote officials. I'm talking about just get put this information up into the face of everybody that we know we have to we have to you know bring this to the attention of our friends co-workers family members uh, neighbors you name it i mean you just have to talk about this stuff with people to bring it into the general consciousness until more people want answers answers aren't going to come more people have to demand answers they have to come forward and talk about this without fear unapologetically saying hey this is a legitimate question it's not there's nothing wacky or strange in asking these questions it, this is talking about basic laws of physics and mechanics that cannot suspend themselves like this you know and that's what the official story asks you to to believe it, it's a, the official story is the conspiracy theory and the religion folks i mean that's asking people to believe that laws of physics can suddenly suspend themselves you know that's that's absolutely requires much more faith and belief than believing that there may have been some uh, unknown technology at work that was used by the military industrial complex to stage this grand event so that they could go in and war on other countries and take whatever resources they want from them. I mean, that to me makes a whole infinite infinitely lot more sense than uh you know uh 19 uh, uh so-called radical islamicists with uh box cutters made norad stand down and you know basically flew uh two planes uh in in the buildings and collapsed three in the process into their own footprint Philip, great points. Thanks so much for the call. We'll pick this up on the other side, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. Tonight on the show, open lines, anything you want to talk about, your questions on anything I've ever covered, your comments, your concerns, your speculations. No taboo topics. There never are here on What on Earth is Happening. The call-in number to join us, 800-313-9443. Okay, let's uh, go back to the phone lines. Uh, we have Elaine in California. Elaine, welcome to What on Earth is Happening. What do you have for us this evening? 
Hi there, Mark. My question to you is um, with regard to world leaders. Yes. Who's really calling the shots? Do you think they are, or do you think they're getting some kind of an intervention from another intelligence, perhaps off-world? And then kind of as a caveat to that question, um, do you think that some of these people that appear before the television screens, i.e. the world leaders, uh, even some news people, do you think they could be putting clones out there? Um, I wouldn't totally dismiss the idea as, you know, completely off the wall because certainly genetic manipulation and genetic technology is what really lies at the core of what's been going on on this planet for hundreds of thousands of years. As we're going to be getting into, um, it, it is very possible that humanity was some sort of a genetically modified or manipulated or hybridized race of beings as a species. And we're not existing in the form that nature originally intended us to exist in. So um, when I, I talk about that, um, I'm going to be making a case that the non-human entities that perhaps did this to us, um, and then some of them, some of those uh, entities interbred with us, as their creation and created yet another offspring, another offshoot species. So you could say that these uh, purebred non-humans came here, wanted to use us as a resource, okay, hybridized us with some of their own genetic material, and then in interbreeding with us, they created this other offshoot that you, you know, it, it, the ancient peoples described these beings as gods. They came from the sky, or another dimension, or wherever they came from, they didn't know where they came from, okay? So they looked at them as supernatural beings or supernatural entities, and they considered that they were, for all intents and purposes, because of their advanced technology, gods, that they had magic. You know, we, we, look at, we look at an advanced technology, and, you know, as Arthur C. Clarke once said, any sufficiently advanced technology becomes indistinguishable from magic at some point. And that's how our ancestors looked at these beings, that they were supernatural entities or gods of some kind. You know, gods with a small g, not meaning the god of the universe, the god of creation, the creator of everything, meaning, uh, you know, um, supernatural beings that seemingly could do supernatural tasks or perform supernatural feats. Of course, they were just exercising uh, these feats through advanced technology. Now, um, when they interbred with their creation, with the um, hybridized species that they made, then they created what you might call a race of demigods or semi-gods because they had the gods' DNA in them and they bred with the regular human being as well. So it was a, uh, a hybrid creation between the gods and the human beings that they had created. Now these demigods, I feel, is what they used as uh, an administration class or you could say an intercessory class as intercessors that went between the gods and the human beings. Okay, so that was the priest class, the original priest class, or you could look at them as the original kings, the original 
uh, government, okay, the people who were the intercessors on behalf of the gods for humanity. So in other words, when humanity had a gripe or concern about what was going on down on the planet, well, these administrator, this administrator class that was the, the interbred, the interbreeding between the gods and the humans, uh, they, they basically administrated the, the dispute, the quarrel, the situation. This was the original priest class. It was the original, again, administrative class or governmental class. You know, uh, they settled disputes. They ruled the people, essentially. And, you know, because these uh, beings were kept very primitive, they weren't, you know, uh, allowed to basically know about their uh, the high technology of the gods uh, or really how it operated. You know, you had some of them that had to per per perhaps perform some type of uh, duties to upkeep some of the technology that was brought down here onto the earth. So some of them had to know a little bit of it. And that was kept very secretive because of the consequences for, you know, basically giving that out or, or revealing that, you know, that was being shared with any of the humans. But um, th this uh, other class of, of beings, these demigods, they were the ones who ultimately had a whole lot of knowledge because they were, uh, you know, largely the same as the gods. Not exactly. You wouldn't call them purebred, but they had more of the gods' bloodline in them, more of their genetics in them, and obviously more of their capabilities. So this is who the original, um, again, governmental rulers, the kings of, of the ancient world, the priest class of the ancient world. And then eventually as they bred with humans and as they continued on their own bloodlines, they became what I would call the dark occultists, the generational dark occult class that has essentially ruled the world ever since. So um, I'm not necessarily saying that they're totally Call, that these other beings are still totally calling the shots here, but certainly their progeny is. Their progeny is who came into power, and maybe when these pure, more purebred beings left here, if they completely did, I'm not saying that has to be the case. I'm open-minded to suggesting that, or speculating that perhaps there still is interaction with some of these uh, original "Quote unquote gods." These, uh, yeah, you know, I don't even. I want to find a new name for for them. I I like the name farmers personally because to me that paints a negative enough connotation and it describes exactly what they are to me. You know, I don't like the word custodians as somebody like William Bramley used. The word gods, it's it's too close. Even we could spec, we could say gods with the small g every time we use the word, but it still paints too much of a closeness in a connotation to the god of creation, which I don't even want to liken these beings to because they're nothing like that. Um, so you know, I would just say the 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 archons. That's a good the rulers. That's a great term for them. That's what a lot of other researchers have, have called them. I like that word also because of its context. A ruler over another being, a master over a slave is what they basically were. So uh, these archons, the original archons, I'm not saying that they all had to go, but I'm saying most of them are obviously not here with us anymore. They look, certainly looked quite different than a human being. I think their progeny eventually interbred with our, uh, the human bloodlines. And then, you know, they, uh, 
um, they be, they just became the administrative class, which you could call the, the government, the priest class, the priest kings of the ancient world. And they uh, uh, basically, uh, their, their bloodline has ruled from the shadows ever since. And I would say that, that those occult lineages are still the bloodlines that are in control of the world today. Uh, as the administrators of the dark occult network of secret societies, uh, and dark occult traditions that are scattered throughout the world uh, in a in a loosely knit network, but an, uh, definitely an overlapping and integrated network that works through hierarchy and compartmentalization to accomplish its agendas. Now, I don't know if that answers your question clearly enough, but that's kind of my overall take on who's ultimately calling the shots. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't be it wouldn't be out of the realm to speculate that perhaps they could still be in communication with some of these other uh, original archonic entities, but I'm I'm not saying that's definitely the case. I think that they are the progeny of those entities. Very good, <laughs> very good. Well, now I can understand why it's uh, going to be a real d uh, difficult situation to get people who are really steeped in their religions to ever ponder the possibility yeah. that we were genetically uh, tampered with because it goes against what their their um their, their Bibles say, basically. But, but, but it actually doesn't. That's the thing. The thing is, they're just not really... They're reading it with a more literalist bent. They're reading it with a more, um, you know, religionist interpretation, as opposed to reading it from somewhat of a historical interpretation and allegorical, a mixture. It's, it's all of those things. But if, mm -hmm. if, if you actually go into the biblical text, it's there. It's in a watered-down form. You know, you go into some of the Sumerian texts and the Sumerian creation epics, and it's, uh, or even into some of what you would call the apocryphal books of the Bible, um, books that were deliberately left out because of this type of content. It's all there in greater detail. But it's there in Genesis. It's there in, uh, you know, the early books of the Old Testament. We'll pick this up on the other side. Stay with us. everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. So before the break, we were talking to Elaine in California, and she made some good points on, um, you know, that uh, there's a lot of work to undo a lot of the religious indoctrination that has gone on, and uh, how people are just totally attached to seeing it one way. They won't look at it from any different perspective than what their religion has conditioned them to believe. And it has nothing to do with pursuing truth in their mind. You know, all it has to do with is this is what my religion says. This is telling me don't look into this other alternative information because it conflicts with my religion. They can't see that that's a control system for the mind. It's a control system for consciousness. And they won't look at anything from an alternative point of view. 
When in fact, if they just looked at the details in some of these stories in the Sumerian and uh, uh, Akkadian and uh, Assyrian cultures, you know, you would see this story that is told in the Old Testament richly spring to life in, in, a, in a detailed form. And then you would understand what's being told in the, uh, the Old Testament and is, is unfortunately lacking the detail in the in the biblical texts whereas the detail is filled in in some of these other texts and then the biblical texts make perfect historical sense in light of those other texts but because they're told anything that's not canon uh, scripture you know uh, it doesn't have the king james stamp of approval on it uh, there can't be any truth in that you know and it's just a, it, again it's a child's mindset it's it's such a shame how religion has people's where religion has people's minds it's it's just truly unbelievable and you know it keeps going back to that the theme of this show and my work keeps going back to breaking down the religions whether you believe in the cultural religions meaning the so-called world religions of christianity judaism islam hinduism buddhism etc okay or you believe in science as a religion that no truth can if the established scientific community doesn't say it works this way, then there is no truth in it. You know, that's it. Okay, that's called scientism, science as a religion. Um, government as a religion, the belief in authority is a religion. The New Age movement, as I've talked about endlessly, is a religion. There, I call it the, the religion of standing down and not taking any action. You know, we're going to change reality on thought and emotion alone. No action is going to be required, though. You're not going to actually have to do anything. No courage is going to be involved. You're never going to have to... There, nothing will ever be confrontational. We'll meditate the world into a state of bliss, permanent bliss, don't you know? Okay? You know, it's all complete childlike mentality. And all it is is believing my religion is right. You know? But nobody ever wants to look at truth. What, 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 what it all comes down to... Oh, and then, of course, we have the big religion. Let's not leave that one out. Money. You know, the ultimate religion, you could call it. The ultimate God of this world. You know, that's the most deeply entrenched religion out of all the others. The other ones have, have no hold on the human mind like that one does. You know, that's the strongest one of all. You know, so all those religions have to go. You want to be free? Every religion I just mentioned there has to go, plus every other one. Every religion you can name needs to go. And the things that act as a religion, meaning hold us back from truth, that which holds us back from truth. So all cultural religion, all government, all notions of authority, all scientism, real science I don't have a problem with, but I'm talking about scientism, and the New Age religion. You can just group that in with all the other religions. That's the catch-all. In case you don't fit into any of the other cultural religious mind control, we'll, we'll wrap you up in that trap real good. You know? And then money. You know? Until those religions are destroyed, humanity will never be free. Get over it, ladies and gentlemen. That's true. That's the truth. Till those religions are, are abandoned, you're going to be in, in a state of chains, in a state of bondage, period. And until people understand that natural law is the solution, that natural law is the answer, okay, that it's about what we need to stop doing that is causing harm to other beings. When we stop causing that harm, we will be free. That's how the law of morality, that's how the law of freedom works. 
As morality increases and we stop doing harm to other beings, we become freer. As morality decreases and we continue to do harm to other beings, you're going to be more and more enslaved. If you don't want to under- recognize that and understand that that's eternal truth because it is the law of creation, nothing will change here. When people get that through their thick skulls, then you'll start seeing some change occur in the world. And it's not that way because I say it's that way. Once again, it has nothing to do with me. I'm, I'm nobody. I'm, I'm one person who has happened to discover that this is what is true. I'm not the first. I won't be the last. I have no magical powers that allow me to make that discovery. You know, I'm not special, more special than anybody else because I've come to that understanding of truth. Okay, it's not my belief system. And people have a hard time with that. They don't want to understand this isn't about a belief. It's not about a belief or a religion. It's about coming into harmony, bringing your own perceptions and consciousness into harmony with that which is. And that's all it's about. So, you know, I'm not saying that what I just laid out there is true because I said it. It's true eternally because it's what is. I happen to discover that that's how it is. And again, I'm not special because I've discovered that. Many other people have in the past and millions of others after me will also do the same. Okay? So, I mean, religion, the whole point comes back to that religion is such a powerful force at work in the world holding us back from where we say we want to go. And everybody has one, it seems, or most people do. So there are some people who are out all the way from religion, from the mind control of religion, but not many. Most people in one form or another still have deep attachment to religion. And that's why they're in mental bondage. And that's why they're creating the conditions through their mental bondage that create physical bondage in the world. And until they stop thinking like that, don't expect the physical bondage to go away or to magically transmute itself or change because it doesn't work like that. It does not work like that. So, Mark, um, I'm remi- sure. Go, go ahead, Link. Rem- oh, no problem. I'm re- reminded of what uh, Carl Jung uh, said. Uh, mental illness in any society, I'm paraphrasing it, sure. but mental illness in any society is due to a lack of legitimate suffering. Well, I don't, I don't uh, think it's necessary for that suffering to, to happen. But I think, unfortunately, we are choosing it. We, there, again, we don't love ourselves enough to want not to choose that suffering, if you can follow that line of logic. To, in order not to choose suffering and to choose the way that doesn't involve all that suffering, you really have to care about yourself. You have to love yourself and say, I'm worth more than this. I don't have to go through all that suffering. I'm better than that. I can learn what's true and then align my behavior to it. And then I won't have to go through all that suffering. But no, not humanity, because we hate ourselves at our core. We are self-loathing people at our core. And until that illness is healed, expect more of the same. We have to become into true self-love. You can't really love anybody else unless you truly love yourself. And if you want more suffering for yourself, of course you're not going to care about what other people are in suffering. You're not going to give a damn about that. You know, you don't care whether you're in suffering, let alone other people. I mean, why would we expect anything to be different in this world instead of it being full of suffering and slavery? You know, because we don't even care enough about ourselves not to want to go down that painful path. 
you know? So, Elaine, great points that you've brought up here. Definitely give people uh, something to really think about deeply. So thank you so much for the call. Thank you. Let's hear from Justin in New York. Justin, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Yo, what's up? Yo, what's up, Mr. Marcus Justin? How you doing? Hey, Come Justin, on. how are you? Good to hear from you. Great, great. Um, no, I just figured, you know, being you have the, uh, all the questions going on tonight, I figured I had one for you. Sure. Um, I basically have this friend, I think, as you know, that's been... Uh, trying to debunk you for a while mm-hmm. and uh he actually hasn't worked uh, uh don't you know watched any of your work until just recently he watched the cosmic abandonment video right and it's so amazing uh, let me just stop you right there he yeah. hasn't watched any of my work and he started with <laughs> cosmic abandonment great yep. that makes a whole yep. lot of sense doesn't it sure <laughs> let me let me throw this out at you too you're sitting down because this is pretty amusing he also told me he's only concerned with the chromosome too which is what my question is about Mm -hmm. but before i get to that he actually said too because i explained to him how even let's just say mark is completely wrong on this topic that's like taking a hubcap off a car and saying the car is not useful because the hubcap isn't there right yet he also said though that he wouldn't even care if that theory is true but he's very adamant about proving you wrong on chromosome too just just so you know well, I'm not saying it absolutely has to be 100% true, but I'll tell you what, it makes a whole lot of sense when you take it into consideration with all the other research that has to do with our origins. We'll pick this up on the other side. Justin, stay with us. Uh, you could uh, ask another one on the other side of the break. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. We're into the third hour of this edition of What on Earth is Happening this evening. Tonight, an all-call-in show. Your calls make the show. The call-in number to join us, 800-313-9443. Once again, 800-313-9443. We were, uh, before the last break, talking with Justin from New York. Justin, are you still on the line with us? Yeah, I'm right here, brother. Okay, go ahead. You can continue. Okay, yeah. Uh, basically, uh, I'm sorry, Justin. You uh, dropped out there for a moment, or your call was uh, kind of uh, getting a lot of interference. Can you just say that part again? Yeah, uh, basically, the, the same dude had messaged me. Uh, would you mind if I uh, read to you what he wrote, just so you could respond? Sure. Okay, he says, at one hour, 19 uh, minutes into the presentation, he says, you talk for a minute and clearly say uh, splicing the uh, human chromosome would it take at least 10 million years. No, he no, says, I didn't say I splicing no- it would take 10 million years. I said that in a natural evolutionary progression, meaning in long-term evolutionary progression, would take that long. In other words, if ah. if the amount of time that Darwinists say is required for uh, evolutionary progression is to be followed, that time frame is to be followed, we would expect to see that much genetic change happen over a multi-million year period, where in reality, the actual amount of time that that genetic change took place in was less than 40,000 years. 
Oh, okay. So he didn't even really get what you said. That oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Like I said, he, 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 a lot of people do do that, Justin. I notice that a lot of people really don't listen to what's being said and go back over it again and hear the words I'm speaking. They mm-hmm. they hear what they want to hear in the words and they don't really hear what I'm saying. You know, uh, and it's that's why it's important to do things like this to clarify things, and that's why this is great because people can ask questions and get clarification on points like that, so that they understand the material a little a little bit better. You also have to understand when I'm giving a live presentation like that. I am very regimented as far as time goes. We only have the room for a certain amount of time. You know, there may be other speakers on the agenda, etc. So you really have to keep to a time frame, and often that you know makes you have to rush in uh, in your presentation style. So um, you know, if there's all day seminars where it's just me, I can kind of take my time and unfurl things kind of slowly. But in an event like that, it definitely was. I was very much restricted two hours and it had to be done in a two hour time frame and that's all I had so you know just try doing a topic that big in two hours or even approaching it in a way that makes sense you know it's a very challenging thing I think I did a fairly decent job for the amount of time I had but again you kind of have to talk fast I did make even a couple of mistakes in there with some names that I you know should have probably even noted in in the notes to make corrections but I think people will get the general you know gist and do the research on their own and you know find the consistencies in it and find where there was a couple of errors in there as well you know I'm not perfect I make mistakes when I give presentations too um, but uh, I try to do my best when I'm up there in the time that I'm allotted but uh, this is a great point to make that um, you know this is why I like to do shows like this from time to time where I give people the opportunity to ask questions and get clarification on topics such as this so uh, I'll, I'll let you continue yeah, no, actually, I mean, I've been watching videos and stuff like this for years. In my opinion, that was the best of all the ones I've watched. That's kind of why I was like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah, but, you know? but definitely not a place to start. You know, if I had to pick, if I had to tell people to look at some, into yeah. some of my material, I certainly wouldn't tell them to start there. As I always say, go back to my podcast and listen forward from number one forward because that's where you're going to get the full tapestry of the information and it's going to be, uh, you know, basically rolled out over a slow, stepwise process progression and the tapestry will eventually come into place as you listen to more and more in order at your own pace that's the best way anybody can approach my material uh, much better than watching my YouTube uh, presentations or just you know hearing you know uh, YouTube videos here and there out of out of order sure. you know disjointed so uh, I, that's my best recommendation to people who are new to my material you know, of course, I've been, I'm probably, up, I think, podcast 66 or whatever, or 65 or something cool. like that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it myself. Great, great. Um, but, yeah, like, like I just, I just did a like wrap up or whatever. But, yeah, it just, just to show the mentality of this guy, too, it's the fact that he's more concerned about debunking one little thing than the implications of if it is true. Like yeah. I said to him, I was like, let's just say you're right. Let's say he's wrong about this thing, right. but I'm also right about the whole thing, or, or you're right about the whole concept. Right. Right, and he, he literally said, like he's just like, ah, I doesn't really, I don't really care. Yeah, he's just like, how could you care about that? It doesn't matter that he's a slave in in a world of slavery. It's all about proving one point of some other guy who's trying to end slavery wrong. Yeah. yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense, man. I mean, that now, I mean, can does that make any sense as to why we're still in slavery? Because I think it makes perfect sense about why we're still in slavery. 
if you ask me. But, you know, hey, I could be the weird one, man. Maybe what we should be doing to get out of slavery is just bicker over little uh, details amongst each other, over minutia amongst each other, uh, constantly attack each other on things that, you know, uh, are are small details in the, in the big, huge picture. But not get the picture, but just fight over the details. Let's pick out this corner of the uh, th- this little piece piece of the jigsaw puzzle in the corner of the puzzle. Forget the 10,000 other parts. We're going to argue over this one out of the 10,000 parts. The the 900 the the, the 9,999 other parts don't matter. You know, we don't care about what the whole picture looks like. I'm going to fight over this one piece and uh, you know, forget about trying to actually put the whole picture together and recognize that what it's telling you is that you're enslaved and that you need to take action to not be enslaved anymore. No, we're not going to worry about that. Let's go and attack some of the other slaves. Uh, what a what great use of energy that is, I'll tell you. You know, makes a whole lot of sense to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just the weird one. People pass tests in school. You don't have to get 100 to pass. If you get 95, you still pass and you did well. But for some reason, in this case, it doesn't count. Yeah. I don't know. So, Of course. See, what it all is, Justin, is it all comes back to that religion thing. This is a person who would probably tell you he doesn't have a religion. He might be an atheist or whatever, whatever, regardless. But the whole point is, he has a religion. He is attached to not wanting to look at this as a possibility because of the implications of what it has the implications that it spells out for our society and us, our species as a whole. And that is a religion. Staying attached to something and not wanting to look at it, even if it is true. That's religious thought. Any way you want to paint it, that's the same way an extremist religionist thinks. The same exact method of thought. I'm going to look at it this way. Anything that con- conflicts with how my current worldview is will be blotted out. And that's exactly how that person is thinking. It's religion. It's religion. And I would say it right to his face. It's religious thinking. You know? And it's not, it's not saying that complimentarily. You know? It's saying that's what's holding us back from where we say we want to go as a species. That's how I mean the word religion there. So, Justin, great points, man. And again, this gives people a lot to chew on, a lot to think about regarding where other people's mindset is at and what our work is to do to change it. you have anything else for us? Hey, brother. That's it? Oh. Okay. All right, Justin, thanks so much, man. Great to hear from you. Okay, uh, let's hear from Swami Shivananda Giri in Illinois. Swami, welcome to the show. Agape! <laughs> so good to hear from you. Looking forward to seeing you and Barb in a week. Oh, it's going to be great. Can't wait. Oh, man. Yep, yep, yep. And just, you know, being one of the folks who dares to care and standing shoulder to shoulder with you and Jay Parker, Curtis Davis, Freighter X, Freeman... You know, those we know and love. Yes. What a rare treat to have such good folks around us. Absolutely. Swami, hold it right there. We'll let you continue on the other side of this break. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening right here on Republic Broadcasting. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. All calls this evening, open lines, no taboo topics. We were on the line with Swami Shivananda Giri in Illinois. Swami, are you still with us? Oh, you betcha. <laughs> okay, I'll let you continue. Uh, well, first off, I wanted to say thank you so very much to Joe from KC for making these tickets available. And I want to say looking forward to meeting Patty and Jason and Mark from Ohio, the other winners. Yes. So really, really looking forward to that. Now, chasing back to last week, I wanted to um, throw in my hat in the ring, supporting anyone uh, who wants to get a little peek at one of the possible theories of the the truer history of humanity, invest the time on YouTube in uh, Michael Fasarian's Oracles and Origins. Absolutely. Oh, my. I mean, Jay was the one who I had never seen it until I heard Jay talk about it. And after I watched that, I just went, oh, what a great job. Somebody finally just just threaded it all together, you know? And oh, Michael Tessarion's work is oh. pro- prolific and meticulous. And yeah. it is done in a scholarly way. And he's, he's just absolutely brilliant. Uh, I can't recommend that series highly enough. I'm, t- I'm telling people, if you want to, uh, you know, make a serious inquiry into human origins and the events of our past as a species, uh, that 22 DVD series, Origins and Oracles, is absolutely essential viewing. That's all I could say about it. Yeah, and if you can't get a hold of that, there's there's uh, like an 11-hour version, I think, on, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Check it out. It's worth the investment of your time. Give it the opportunity to sink in and see how much sense it makes. Sure. Also, uh, calling back to last week, uh, one to mention, one of the, when we were discussing the ancient texts and things, one of the great Eastern traditions were called sutras. Yes. And the thing with a sutra, sutra is the Sanskrit word for thread. And in a sutra, you'll only get like a sentence, maybe two, but that is what gets passed down. And then you have the masters of the traditions, the gurus, the Gnostics, the knowers, who then flesh out and expand upon that sutra. And that's the way the wisdom traditions were carried out with through the oral tradition. Yes. You know, which, which have been with us always. And that's one of the great, you know, people can read sutras, but without, <laughs> without someone who really knows how to flesh all that out, you're not really going to get that much out of it. You know, because you're reading a sentence that someone who is a master of this information can then turn into a four-hour discourse right. based on one sentence. It's kind of like a boiled down or a compressed 
uh, idea that's uh, uh, brought into its uh, you know verbal written form in a very concentrated sense, but it can be unpacked or expanded. Right, right, and that, and that's one of the reasons that this Swami got so into the the Eastern tradition. You know, because right. I, I I came upon someone who knows all this stuff and who is a master, and and he took me on and and taught me and made me a swami. You know, I mean, I'm just a Western guy, a macaroni and cheese eating <laughs> kid from the cornfields of Illinois. You know, I know didn't grow up as any kind of a saintly being or anything. You know, right. but but with study and practice and training anyone can reach their full potential. That's right. And all the full potentials are out there to be reached. Mark Passio is awesomely playing the individuated unit of consciousness of Mark Passio. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Swami is playing this Swami. And you, the listener, right now, are playing you, the That's listener, right, right now. God exists within you as you. You just had to forget that for a while in order to play the role of the individuated unit of consciousness in the infinite play of consciousness. And once we separate from that ego attachment that we are our thoughts, we are our uh, role that we play in life, we are our job, we are, you know, bank account or whatever, any of the other aspects of the self, and you realize that we're an aspect of everything, having an experience in the physical domain that is informing the spiritual domain, that is informing the underlying essence of what everything ultimately is, so that everything can learn and grow. We step back from that individuated perspective of consciousness and that's when we could expand into the essence of the all and then take on that wider sense of care that you came into this call saying agape the the (laughs) wider sense of cosmic universal care universal love there is nothing but me here and i know this now And that's the whole difference. The only way the archons can keep humanity down is to keep imposing this limited perspective. If we know the real deal, their system falls apart immediately. Exactly, because if you were enlightened to that level of awareness, then you wouldn't do a job for a paycheck that involves doing harm to other people or stepping on other people's rights. You know, you wouldn't get involved in uh, the paradigm protection racket, as I call it, you know, telling lies to other people and keeping information back that the powers that shouldn't be don't want people to understand uh, and taking a paycheck to do that, to be part of the so-called mainstream media. You know, you, you would get involved in uncovering the truth. You would get involved in speaking that truth to other people. You would get involved in exposing the darkness, not just being afraid of it and saying, oh, I don't want to talk about all this negative stuff that's out there because that's going to bring more of it. No, you're going to say, I'm going to expose it. I'm going to show people this isn't the way we should be in the world because, you know, we can step back from that 
uh, ego-attached, identified perspective and see that we're all in this together. We're all essentially one consciousness experiencing itself. And as one suffers, all suffer. Explore what is possible. That's it. Yeah. And then if you take the time and energy and invest in yourself to find the big S self hiding within you, not jumping up and down trying to get your attention. Oh, no, that's for the stuff outside, for the objects of the senses. The self sits quietly within, just waiting for you to turn around and start looking. Yep. And then it will reveal everything to you. It's when like, the it's like is if, proper. if we turn that constant voice chatter, that external chatter down, we got to lower the volume on that. Then we'll be able to engage in that dialogue with the true self that's always there, always waiting, but it never kind of speaks above a whisper, so to speak. Swami, always enlightening talking to you, always very um, enlightening perspectives that you bring forward for us to consider. So I'm really going to be looking forward to seeing you next week in St. Louis. Thanks so much for the call. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. All calls tonight from listeners. Any questions, comments, concerns, speculations are fair game. No taboo topics. There never are on this show. The call-in number to join us, 800-313-9443. Let's go back to the phones and hear from John in Seattle. John, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Hello? Yes. Hi, John. You're live. Hi. Hi. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm back on. I was the first caller tonight. I hope it's okay. Oh, no worries. <laughs> Great. Um, I guess I'm just... Uh, um, hungry for more truth tonight. <laughs> um, I uh, have a question. Um, I, w- I would like to know your thoughts about um, Aleister Crowley. And uh, I've noticed between uh, um, several different researchers that there's different opinions yes. upon uh, their, their views about who mm-hmm. Aleister Crowley was and his role yes. uh, in our modern society today. And um, like Freeman, for for instance, he, he, uh, his material is a uh, pretty uh, um, uh, pretty anti, interesting and anti Crowley, yes, right. And um, I would just like to. I haven't heard you really state one way or the other uh, where you might fall. I'm, I'm going to give you the best um, location to go to to check out my views on Crowley, where I, uh, as meticulously as possible, give my view of the man and his work. 
Uh, that oh. is the show that I did with uh, Bob from Cincinnati on Occult Empire, on his show Occult Empire, called okay. Thalema. Okay, if you listen to that show, I essentially broke down the Thalamic philosophy, and I talked about Crowley's work as having to be distinguished from Crowley the man or the, his personal deeds. Okay, um, a teacher can put out good spiritual information and then not walk the path. And this was clearly the case with Crowley. So, and also you have to understand that Crowley wasn't himself consciously always writing his works. He was channeling these works or he was writing them in extreme altered states of consciousness. And they were works that were, you could say, coming in through him as a medium. So he was a medium. So mediumship is when you are allowing your body to be used to write material that may be coming from other consciousnesses that are disembodied or not your own, okay? Uh, This has been called automatic writing or channeling, okay? So, you know, there's people like Barbara Marciniak who do it, Bashar, um, Neil Donald Walsh. There's a lot of different channels out there. Crowley was one of them. He practiced channeling. So you have to very much make the, the discernment that when you read his writings, you may be reading one consciousness or another consciousness or his own, his own ego-driven consciousness at certain times. And you have to be aware of that flow in his writing and realize, hey, it could jump from one state of consciousness to another on the same page. So why, what I tell people is Crowley is not what you want to initiate people through. Bad idea. Okay, because it's so complex, it's an enigma, it's a puzzle. Okay, and even like a lot of discerning students into the occult may have a lot of Crowley's material wrong or may, you know, not really understand that the material is not just straightforward. Then you have to look at his actions and his behavior and say, hey, he said this and he did this. There's conflict here, there's contradiction here. So you know, then you have to, that, that doesn't mean you totally call into question what he said. It just means you have to say what was the actual character of the man. So you, somebody could be saying, hey, live uh, in harmony with each other, understand the difference between right and wrong, live in harmony with natural law. But then if you don't do that in your own life, you, you, that doesn't mean that you're lying about what you were saying about natural law. It just means you fell from that path. And you couldn't actually walk it in your own life. So what someone who was looking at your work would then have to say, using discernment, is, well, I I will listen to what that person said, but I'm certainly not going to behave like that. And this is the case with Crowley. It really is the idea of do as I said, not as I did. Okay, it really that old adage, do as I say, not as I do, really holds true with someone like him. So I tell people, read and discern his work and understand it's complex, it's enigmatic, and there's more than one thing going on there. It's not just him writing it in his everyday state of consciousness. You have to be aware of that. But then take to heart what resonates with truth, and then you got to look at his behavior and say, well, he fell from that path. He he didn't live like he like he said. So don't certainly don't pattern your life after his. Hey, look at how natural law rewarded him. What? How did he end up? Yeah. He ended up penniless, drug addicted, dying of uh, a lung problems because of his drug addiction and his poor health in a hovel alone with hardly anybody around him caring about him. That's how right. he. That's how he went out of this world. 
okay? Natural law probably caught up with him in this domain, in this realm. So my, that's kind of my take on Crowley. I really like his material. I like it, some of his writings, not all of them. I don't agree with all of it. And I think you have to really discern between the, the writings in the, the spiritual domain that he channeled versus the consciousness of him, the man, and his behavior in the, th- the 3D world, which there's a lot of contradictions there. So uh, it, it right. requires discernment, and it's certainly not a place you want to start if you're starting to look into uh, spirituality or if you're starting to look into occultism. Crowley is a place you want to end up at, not start at. <laughs> right. Yeah. I hope that answers right, your question. Great. Sure did. Great. Thank you so much. John, thank you. All right, let's uh, see if we can squeeze another couple of callers in. Let's talk to David in Massachusetts. David, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. David, are you with us? Yeah, he's there. Uh, uh, yeah, Mark, this is about the third time I've listened to your show. Hey, there he is. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, David. Mark, I, 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 um, am I correct in assuming or understanding that you, you do believe in the invisible world? Well, uh, the whole show is about the occult. The occult means the hidden or the unseen. You know, so yeah. that's all the word occult means. That which is hidden from sight, which is difficult to see, which requires deep introspective spiritual vision in order to see and comprehend and understand how it works. Yeah. You know, you know, how you know what, um, uh, a lot of these, uh, atheists and, uh, these, uh, uh, material, uh, people that only believe in the material, you yes. know, materialist, sure. materialists, everything. Yep. Sometimes I, sometimes I'll say this to the market. I asked them if they've ever heard of the boy that was born blind. And uh, the boy that was born blind, he lived a long life, and he lived, to, he, he lived to a ripe old age. And nobody could ever, ever convince him that the visible world was real. Wow. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. So, that which so he could not perceive. You know, he didn't have vision for that world, so he couldn't be convinced of it. You know, we need to develop inner vision, and then we will see the world of the occult. We will see it as it actually really is. It's been there the whole time. You know, it's our perception that needs to be adjusted so we can see what's really going on in this world. Yeah, great well, allegory. Uh, the, yeah, the, the, the invisible world is, uh, as you know, Mark, it's actually, it's the real world. The visible world is actually illusory. Um but um, hey, let me. T- if I have time, Mark, you, sure. you might appreciate you might appreciate this story. I, I, you know, I'm sure your audience will. I think people in the audience. But uh, Mark, I, I, I went out to uh, Harvard, uh, Harvard Square about that. Uh, uh, I think it was a Monday night or something. Uh, about two weeks ago or something. When the um, when the uh, the organized Satanists. We're going to celebrate the Black Satanic Mass. Yes, on, that's, on the a, that's a that's a, a group known as the Satanic Temple, and they were going to uh, basically organize a uh, mock Satanic ceremony known as the Black Mass that they were going to have at uh, uh, on Harvard's campus. I think they got so much uh, negative backlash uh, as a result of wanting to have that uh, um, you know uh, uh, psychodramatic ritual performed there that. Um, uh, they had to call it off. Am, am I correct that, that it was called off? 
uh, yeah, um, it was called off, and a lot of people assumed it was Harvard uh, at the last minute that uh, uh, that the Magnum Max had to call it off, but it wasn't. It was the statements themselves that right. uh, that Doctor Doctor. But here's what's interesting, Mark, and I I think you uh, oh yeah, you going to a break, Mark? Oh uh, no, go ahead. Oh. Mark, you no doubt are familiar with uh, Johann Goethe's uh, epic prose poem, uh, Faust. Yes. Yeah. Faust and Mephistopheles and all that. You're often perfect with that, with that poem, right? Now we are coming up to the break. Hold on there, David. I'll let you pick this up on the other side of the break. Ladies and gentlemen, stay with us. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. <laughs> segment for this edition of what on earth is happening coming at you we were on the line with david from massachusetts i'll let him finish up his point and then we'll take a couple of other callers david are you still with us i'm still with you mark yeah okay. thank you for holding me over mark sure um mark what i'm gonna tell you i couldn't make this stuff up um anyways i went out to st paul's in harvard square and the uh, St. Paul's in the Roman Catholic community and everything, uh, their answer to the Satanic Mass was a, uh, a benediction service. Um, and it was presided over by Father Michael Dreyer and uh, Auxiliary Bishop uh, Arthur Kennedy. Uh, and they, they uh, exposed the Blessed Sacrament uh, on, on, on the altar, and we recited the divine praises and so on and so forth. But anyways... Uh, lo and behold, the president of Harvard University came over and she plopped her derriere down practically right beside me. I, w- I was sitting right up on the front row. I-, I always sit in the front row of any any event if I can, because especially if the seats are free. Mm-hmm. And um, anyways, her-, her name is Dr. Faust. Her first name is Drew Faust. So she's known as Dr. Faust. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now listen, I can't make this stuff up. Uh, uh, Father Michael Dreyer, at, at the end of his homily, he turned to Doctor Faust and he said, and he addressed her as Doctor Faust. I want you to know that the Cambridge Catholic community joins you, Doctor Faust, as one community <laughs> and everything. And I'm thinking to myself, does this priest even know what the hell he's really saying? <laughs> Uh, you, you know, a little bit and, of uh, uh, synchro mysticism happening there, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, I, I went up, I went up to Dr. Faust uh, at the end of the service, and um, I, I asked her if she had ever heard of Saint Faustina. That's that's the bit. You do know about the uh, Divine Mercy cult, um, Mark? The no. image of the Divine Mercy in the chaplet of the Divine Mercy. No. Are you familiar with that? I'm not. Huh? Oh, okay. That's check check. Check that out. The uh, 
But anyways, I, I asked her, uh, there's a big cult in the Catholic Church now, this St. Faustina. She was a Polish nun. Uh, okay. And uh, Pope John Paul II promoted it and everything. She, she's, a, she's a saint now. Her name was uh, um, uh, Helen Maria Kowalska and everything, and then she became Saint, uh, uh, a nun known as Faustina uh, and everything. But uh, I, I asked Dr. Faust if she was familiar with Faustina, St. Faustina, and uh, Dr. Faust said that she was, to my surprise. So then I said, well, well, Dr. Faust, I said, are you a Roman Catholic? I thought she might be, since she was familiar with St. Faustina. And, uh, and she, said, she said no, that she wasn't a Roman Catholic and everything. And I said, what, what did you just come over here to, out of a sense of community unity and everything? And, and she says, yes, and, and, uh, and, and so on. But uh, it was just unbelievable when, when Father Michael Dre turned to the Dr. Faust, the Cambridge Catholic Community, Joins with you, Doctor Faust. It's one community. Yeah, isn't that strange, huh? So, so I great allegory overall about what's going on in this world, though. People trading, uh, you know, uh, worldly pa- their souls for worldly power. Yeah, I almost wonder, Mark. Um, I was almost wondering if, if, if like the uh, the local Illuminati over there in Cambridge, if they were actually like uh, exercising the Hegelian dialectics uh, or, or something, just manipulating the uh, just manipulating the public that the, that they're so good at doing uh, and everything. But uh, I don't I don't necessarily want to read something in sure. you know, read, read into it something that isn't really there or sure. something. But uh, how did you phrase it? Uh, What's the term you used that it said it might be some, uh, what's going on? Synchromysticism. Uh, it's kind of like a little wink from the universe, like a little, uh, you know, a synchronicity taking place, but uh, could be could be somewhat meaningful. Oh, you yeah, got to look yeah, into I'm the familiar. term synchromysticism. It's a very interesting study where uh, things come through in, in popular works of art and fiction that tell us about what's really going on in the world. Uh, kind of oh, allegorically, yeah. symbolically, perhaps without even the deliberate intent of the uh, creator of the piece of art or the movie or something like that, uh, actually consciously being aware of it. It's just coming through in the creative process. Should do a whole show on it one time. It would be a really interesting show. I've touched on it in past shows, however. Okay. Michael, very quickly, Yes. Uh, what, what, what is the name of that uh, New York uh, Satanic uh, Organization? Uh, that was the Satanic Temple. I'm not sure if they're based in New York. I thought maybe they were uh, out farther west. I'm not positive where they're based, but it was called the Satanic Temple that tried to organize that uh, Harvard event. They're the same group that was trying to place a Baphomet statue at uh, a courthouse because of the Ten Commandments being placed uh, there previously, and they wanted... They wanted uh, th- their religion to be recognized as well. I mean, yeah. I'm all for freedom of all forms of religion, religious expression, and uh, I'm not looking to shut anybody's speech down. I, I, you know, I have no problem with anybody coming out and saying what their beliefs are. But uh, I think, uh, you know, if uh, they're talking about um, anything that is doing away with other people's rights or freedom, then I think that should be, you know, uh, spoken out against, uh, and and everybody's voice should be allowed to be heard. I'm for uh, the airing of all voices, even if those I disagree with, you know, people have a right to speak, period, and be heard. 
But uh, I think the voice of truth uh, has to speak. We have to speak, uh, allow that to speak through us. And if we do that, then, you know, um, uh, we'll be empowering ourselves and putting ourselves in a uh, better position to have uh, freedom uh, grow instead of being uh, curtailed constantly in our lives. So uh, I want to thank you for the call, David. And uh, let's see if we could um, uh, hear from a couple other callers before we round out this show. Uh, Let's hear from Raphael in Indiana. Raphael, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Hi, Mark. I just want to say thank you for everything you do. And, uh, you know, thank you. Giving out all the information you you give us out there. And, uh, you know, thanks to you. Now I realize uh, how many idiots I'm surrounded by and bonded by their beliefs and actions, and well, it's our job to wake them up. Yes, that's exactly it. You know, now, now we just see what our work is to do. So uh, thank you for that. And it's not something that we want to do, but unfortunately it's something we have to do because of their beliefs and their actions. We're bonded by them that's right. in this material, material world. That's right. And I, I just wanted to comment real quick on, uh, you mentioned uh, in the previous call uh, about synchromysticism. Yes. And, uh, you know, um, just want to urge every caller to start back at number one and go back and to listen to all your shows because there's so much value in all the information that you give. And, uh, you know, when you begin to path the truth, uh, synchronistic patterns unfold. You know, in, in my personal life, things have happened and I've, things have begun to, quote unquote, I guess, connect the dots. Kind of like uh, when you talked about, I think, and with Kevin and his show, um, how, how that issue you had with the door lock, and then you, you unlocked it with the compass, you know? And then uh, when you were, I think you were supposed to meet, or you were running late for a show, and then you, your barber was making you late for whatever reason, and then the, the, the notes that you had with the interviewer, his notes were kind of like when you were mad with somebody. It's, it's kind of like related to the same exact scenario that you dealt with before. Right. right. And it's just pretty amazing. The universe you know, all right. is constantly speaking to us through symbols and allegories and events of our daily lives. It's just, it's up to us to recognize the patterns and see meaning in it because there is meaning and purpose in all of it. And it's just, we're so all over the place and scattered and paying attention to other things that we often miss those really important clues and miss that important message because we're so focused on the minutia of everyday life. Yeah, I mean, it is it is mind-boggling, you know, the things that you do come across, you know, and the information you hand out. I mean, you know, uh, today, actually, I was listening to, I, I'm up to 106, and uh, you made a comment, uh, you know, keep an eye out on May 1st for, uh, you know, uh, any events, and sure enough, on May May 1st is that evening is when they uh, announced, uh, was it the killing of Osama bin Laden? Oh, sure. <laughs> yep. Oh, that was definitely a uh, May Day uh, event ritual for certain. Valpurgis knocked. They they brought that whole uh, nonsense story out to the public. They love doing things like that on May first. You know, advertising their victories, like uh, you know, mission accomplished in uh, in Iraq. You know, that was done on May the first, also. Ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this edition of What on Earth is Happening. Remember, there's only two mistakes you could ever make on the path to truth. Not starting and not going all the way. We'll see you right here in two weeks. Thanks for listening, everyone. Good night.